Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combined to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. Hey, welcome, hey, to the 99th episode, the 90th of the Gretzky episode, eh, of the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. Kevin Lara May, he joins me up there in Quebec. Quebec, the uh, great province of Quebec. Kevin, how are you doing today, eh? Uh, uh, I'm uh, I'm okay. Uh, it's not uh, easy for me to uh, speak another language than French. Uh, it's not uh, my uh, normal languages, but I'm very happy to our Gretzky show. It's been a, a long journey, and I'm very proud. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You're sorry? Uh, that's my Canadian sorriness. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Th- this is our Wayne Gretzky show, the two solitudes. Uh, so if you, you didn't catch that, that was my uh, my rural Canadian accent. Uh, Kevin was going with his rural Quebecois accent. And uh, we'll, we'll probably uh, spare you for the rest of the show on that one. But uh, we thought we'd, uh, uh, instead of honoring 100, although we're going to do a little something special for 100 because we're both in town at the same time. So we're going to have a show at Whistler's. Grill, uh, which is at Broadview and Mortimer and here in Toronto. We're going to be there live. And if anyone wants to show up, Kevin, what are we going to do? We're going to do shows. We're going to talk about soccer, talk about uh, the Two Solitudes podcast and uh, prizes. If anybody shows up, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be our 100th show. But this is our Gretzky show, eh? Gretzky! Gretzky! <laughs> Number 99, Voyager's Cup edition today. It was uh, the beginning of the Voyager's Cup final this week. A very intense game at San Saputo on Wednesday. It was actually a very interesting and uh, entertaining game for the Canadian Championship. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fitting for a 99 show that we're talking about Canadian Championship. All right. The Gretzky Show brought to you by 7-Up, Mr. Big, and Titan. <laughs> what has a long neck? a long beak, and some say squawks a lot. No, it's not the Canada Goose. It's the Wayne Gretzky doll. It really doesn't squawk at referees, but for fifteen ninety-five, the great one, or if you prefer, Le Magnifique, will soon be gracing toy shelves everywhere. The little oil drop comes complete with skates, uniform, gloves, and hockey stick. So far, hockey's superstar is not exactly a super seller. But even though he started slow, by season's end, he's expected to stick-handle his way to the top. Uh, We've got him in about the middle of December, and so far we've sold a fair amount of them, not quite as as much as I thought we would sell. Uh, But I think once he gets a little bit more exposure, it, it should really quite go well. Gretzky and Barbie. The hottest number since 99? What would girlfriend Vicky Moss say? Well, judging by the look on Ken's face, the Super Center may well need a Dave Semenko doll for protection. The doll isn't the only Gretzky toy in the market. The very latest is Wayne Gretzky's Rocket Hockey. Rocket Hockey, Wayne, and still no Vicky doll? Oh, well, not to worry. It looks like even the doll can score. Doug Harrison, CBC News, Edmonton. Beauty, eh? All right. Um, we're going to do this serious now. Uh, no more uh, Gretzky puns, although we are, we are having our Gretzky show here, number 99, um, which is not Jack Mack. No, ni- no 99 in Canadian uh, soccer anymore, so uh, we'll, we'll move on. Um, a couple things I wanted to touch on real quick here before we, uh, we do some reflection on our first 98 shows, this being the 99th, kind of as a, a anniversary show, so to speak, and uh, then we break and do a Canadian review for the Voyager's Cup. But I wanted to, to start with um, the Danielle Henry transfer fee story, which I wrote on CanadianSoccerNews.com yesterday. I was on Soccer Morning this morning to talk about it. It's getting a lot of traction in the States, this idea that Danielle Henry, uh, his, his youth club, which is North Mississauga Soccer Club, uh, should be paid tr- training fees or solidarity fees, as, as FIFA calls them in their 
you know, always subtle ways, um, that they should be paid these fees. Whereas Yedlin in the Starfire Academy, Starfire Premier, it's called, pardon me. I keep guessing it's Crossfire. Crossfire. Starfire, Starfire is the stadium they play at. Starfire seems like a name of a superhero in like a Star Fox game or something. Yeah, well, the problem is Seattle has a Starfire as well. It's it's Crossfire. Crossfire Premier is what the name of this uh, this club is. But the bottom line is we're really speaking for all youth clubs in both Canada and the United States when we talk about this issue and the importance of it. For those that don't know, a brief little summary of it. Um, when a player is transferred, obviously the transfer fee goes back to the selling club. Um, in the case of Daniel Henry's sale to uh, West Ham United, the vast majority of that payment went to TFC, which is MLS as well, right? Um, so TFC would get a certain amount of allocation, but by and large, MLS would have been the selling party. A certain little amount would have went to the Cypern Club, that uh, that um, Cypress Club that uh, he was briefly at. Well, never at, but he was planted at. Uh, we won't get into that to complicate things here, but they only took a very small portion of that transfer. That's kind of a business model they use over there to have these uh, guys sort of put there for a brief period of time, never show up, be immediately loaned back to their their host club and their, their selling club, and then they get a little bit of the transfer fee. But that has nothing to do with the issue at play, I, I doubt. At any rate, this fee, there's a small percentage of it. I believe it's 5% that goes back to the youth clubs that helped develop them in an effort to help you know, facilitate the continuation of the development of elite players at these community clubs. It's a small amount in the grand scheme of the transfer, but it's supposed to go to them. It's FIFA mandates that it goes to these clubs. The the big clubs, uh, Spurs in Yedlin's case, West Ham in Henry's case, don't even think twice. They're just, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. And they contact the clubs. They, that's what happened in, in Daniel Henry's case where he, the, the North Mississauga technical director received a phone call and said, this is West Ham United and we owe you some money and how can we get it to you? And he sort of said, wow, well, that's nice. And they figured it out and the CSA didn't step in. So this North Mississauga has used the money to, to help pay for their um, you know, Premier Development League fees, to help pay for some, you know, some technical sort of enhancement in their program. Again, it's not a huge amount. No one's getting rich off it. No one's lying in their pockets. That's not what it's about. It's about sort of sustaining a system that that otherwise is insustainable because it's expensive to, to develop players, especially if there's no financial payoff at the end. And, and as of you know, right until this very moment, there's never really been a financial payoff for for the youth clubs. Can you imagine yourself putting the North uh, Mississauga Soccer Club shoes? You're there just going about your day. Phones rings. Hello. Yes, uh, this is West Ham. Really? Really? All right. And now the exact opposite. Put yourself in a crossfire situation. Phone never rings. You have to go to legitimate uh, litigation to finally try to get that resolved and get that money that they probably do need to uh, better the infrastructures at that level. We're talking about like tens of thousands of dollars. But for the youth programs, for their equipment, uniforms, infrastructures of the actual pitch itself... uh, it's a it goes a long way. So uh, hopefully there's a resolve. But it seems now that with the Donnell Henry situation in Mississauga and West Ham compared to Yedlin, looks like there's two different approach to it, two different uh, results. But at the end of the day, it's two different measures, and it shouldn't be it's, it shouldn't be double standard for that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, to be fair, and we we should be careful about this. Is that Tottenham uh, Spurs? They uh, they were more than welcome to willing to pay the fee out in fact when uh, crossfire originally approached them they they were going through the process of doing that when all of a sudden the brakes were put on and and what um crossfire claims is that mls and the ussf acting you know mls acting on behalf of have blocked that payment now i don't know why and we're not an american show so it's not really our place to speculate but i think our, we have a lot of american listeners so we'll do a little of it um, I talked on Jason Davis's show today that my theory on what this is about is it's about control. It's not about the money. The money's small. It's it's nothing compared to the overall transfer. I, I don't think that MLS or, or USSF are doing this to to line their pockets, quote unquote. Um, what I think is happening though is that they want to control development, and you see similar things here. And it's only been because of the the hyper-political push by the local community around TFC and push back against TFC Academy in a lot of ways. And we've talked about that in other shows that I think that they've developed like they stick up for themselves now, the other clubs in the area. And that's not to say, and I've defended TFC Academy within that little fight lots of times, and I'll continue to do so. But that's not to say that um, that they shouldn't be doing this or that they should that 
that TFC Academy is doing anything wrong here or that TFC Academy would have demanded these fees if the, if they had not spoke up for themselves. But I think that that empowerment that the local community has done against the, the MLS academies and the resistance towards you know just bowing down to MLS is which is what happens a lot I think in the United States um, has led to the, the situation where there hasn't been any resistance to it. There's also I think the the interesting thing at play here is what the USSF and the CSA's role in all of this is. Clearly the CSA is doing nothing to stop this. They, they'd like this. They want this. Whereas the USSF is working either with MLS or telling MLS to do this. And what's that about? Is it is it about like I think it speaks to me, Kevin. It speaks to me to the relationship that the CSA has with MLS and how they're they're suspicious of MLS to begin with. So they're not going to help MLS do something which is against how the rest of the world works in this particular case when they feel that they want their local clubs, their local uh, youth clubs or, or academies to have more autonomy and more ability to, to produce elite players themselves. No, exactly. And I think too as well is that they don't want to create that precedent because if in the case in the United States that they have to pay out the money to Crossfire, then all the other academies that did have uh, that type of payment owed to them that never really got it, well, they're going to go after it. They're going to find a way to get it in the future. So it could create a precedent. And the amount of United States players that do sign a transfer fee contract somewhere else is all higher than Canadian. So that could be important in the future as well. But uh, we'll see. Maybe it's uh, they don't want to create that precedent because who knows if it can go uh, in the past to try to re. re- gain that money or maybe in the future the amount of United States player that will go travel abroad and sign contract and transfer fees will be more so maybe they want to keep that money for their own benefit for their own development structure and not trying to feed structures outside which they don't control so I think uh, those two hypotheses combined will probably have a partial uh, idea of what the truth is yeah this is you know to be clear I was talking to Jason about this is I my my memory tells me that this is the first sale of a Canadian that's been developed in the academy to a, an overseas uh, team. There there might have been one on the on the Whitecap side of things, but I'm not sure if he didn't go through the academy. And I'm, uh, I'm Haber. I'm thinking of that when they were a USL still, so that it's not quite equatable. So um, I think that this is the case. So there's there's no other precedent here. So the precedent's been set with Henry that all cl- all sales moving forward, if it's a Canadian kid that's been developed in the youth academies of TFC, the Whitecaps, the Impact, that there's going to be a need to compensate their youth clubs as well, which comes from the the buying club anyway. So it shouldn't be any skin off the back of the Impact Whitecaps or TFC. And and again, there's no indication that TFC has has fought this in any way. But certainly, it's an interesting development. We'll continue to try and find out exactly what this difference is and, and you know why it's out there. It's an issue that's more you know it's one of those rare occasions when the Canadian side of things is, is doing it the right way, and it's the American side of things that is fighting for the, the the proper change. In my opinion, I'm you know I don't think I'm. I need to point out my bias. It's that I think that the U.S. should follow the rules of the rest of the world when it comes to paying these transfer fees and their their academies need to be compensated because I think that uh, the U.S., as successful as they've been, uh, has a lot to do with just throwing a lot of crap at the wall and seeing what sticks rather than having an efficient system. And I think this speaks to that kind of lack of efficiency. If you're not compensating these clubs, then what's their what's – their, why would they work for anything other than themselves then? You know what I mean? Why would they follow the standard that you put down if you don't even pay them the money that they're owed? Or let the let not even you pay them. If you don't let the people that owe them the money pay them that money and try to get into the way of that, why would they listen to you then when you say, all right, we should play that type of soccer, we should play that type of standard-based practice, those type of sessions we want it to be organized? Why would they listen to you then? So I think it's uh, all goes together. And you're probably right. Uh, the relationship between MLS academies and MLS and uh, that infrastructure of development compared to the private and other academies that are very present everywhere in the States and uh, every community, there's always one from small to big ones. There's a lot in the Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, in New England, favorite, a lot of ones that have won PDL and all that. So I think all those things combined explains to the, the lack of good relationship. I think it all goes together. And I think they should just, it's easy to say for us, especially that we're not even directly involved. We're Canadian, but uh, people should work together for the benefit of the players themselves. But it's a lot, it's easier to say than done when there's money involved. 
Yeah. Well, the other part of this too is if you want to be purely MLS about it, it's kind of counterintuitive, counterproductive, I should say, to to work against these local academies. If you're an MLS academy, if, if the motivation really is to control this development pathway, all you're going to do is galvanize them. All you're going to do is make them want to say, screw you. We're not going to tell our kids to go to your academy. You, so you're going to stay outside of the control of MLS. They're going to keep them at Crossfire in this particular case. And then Crossfire, I suspect, is going to, you know, if, if they don't get the compensation here, I suspect that what their strategy would be, would be to, to create their own sort of selling division, for lack of a better way to put it. They would maintain control of their kids, maybe send them to college, maybe create an elite program at the top end of their, of their structure, and then would look to sell directly and deal directly with with the uh, professional clubs in Europe. That's kind of the model Sigma uses, to, although Sigma is more cooperative with the MLS than, than that, than what I'm painting, but that's kind of the model they use. They have direct relationships in Europe. They look to sell on. They have ways, I don't want to speak for them or speak out of term, but they have ways that that can then go back to help promote them and, and continue to get the, the revenue going through that, not to line their pockets again, but to create the next generation of players, right? That's the system that they're going to, you're going to force a crossfire in if you're not playing ball on something so minor, so petty, so pedantic as this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's uh, the other topic I wanted to cover uh, before we, we sort of reminisce a little bit was the uh, Edmonton, um, the FC Edmonton situation in relation to the C League. Uh, this is the update, and it's not exactly a long update. Uh, it's put it out of your mind. Um, I've been told outright that FC Edmonton will will under no circumstances be going to the C-League, that they have uh, given the CSA their final answer on that, that they were approached, they were asked. Edmonton said outright, no, we're not interested. They didn't, how it was said to me is that they didn't say it in a rude way or in an aggressive way and they don't wish the project ill. And it doesn't say they, that in the future things will not be different as well. Yeah, they didn't say it either way on that one, to be honest with you. But they, for right now, there is there's there is no way that they are moving outside of the NASL. They have too much invested in that league. Uh, Tom Faith, the owner, has too much invested in that league. Is too involved in that league. Feels very strongly in that league. For him to then pull his team up to take what he believes to be a risk uh, to move into that league. The other thing that I think people might find interesting in this, Kevin, is that one of the reasons. Uh, Edmonton doesn't want to make the jump is because the salary budget of the C League is much higher than what their current salary level is. And I think that that might surprise people is that what the C League is aiming to be is a higher level than the NASL. They're looking to pay higher salaries. And that is one of the reasons why FC Edmonton doesn't want to get involved. And I, you know, I keep hearing people when they're talking about the C League make these responses like they call it semi pro and things like this. And I try to keep pushing this home is that the salary cap that they're talking about, although it doesn't sound like much, million, million and a half, somewhere around there, that's like about the level MLS started at, and it's a much higher level than what a typical NESL team plays. So if they do things right, I think in four or five years, if it's successful, the C-League could very well be competitive with with the Costa Rican League anyway in terms of their overall salary structure and, and outside of the DP side of things, I think would be able to to play games with MLS teams and not get embarrassed on the pitch. I think that that is the ultimate goal. With as well one thing in their uh, as the advantage, you can almost guarantee more playing time for Canadian players. So players coming out of the USL, coming out of academies that are lingering on the bench at 24, 25, 26, when it gets a little... Uh, almost too late now for them to finish that development, that last little step. Well, they might have a place that at a decent, good salary as a pro soccer player in their home country, and they will have a lot of more playing time because of the quotas. So that could be uh, just perfect. And I'm always surprised too by the amount of the, the salary cap amount. But in ASL, if you take this couple of stars out of the teams, salary is not that high, and it's not that big of a of a gap. So it's going to be very, very. I always say interesting, but what I mean is I'm intrigued and I have faith now that it might be successful because the amount I will talk about, it's not that much and it's sponsors mixed with a little support from here and there and plus the actual soccer community that will have something to gravitate around. Uh, I think it's going to be, if not a success, I think it's going to be viable and I think that's what uh, the goal should be. Not necessarily a big commercial success, but it needs to be viable. Yeah, and they have been very 
good about protecting the names of their investors. We've all speculated and, and had some hints thrown at us in terms of the, maybe the Calgary Flames, some of the ownership there, maybe a lot of the owners in the CFL would be involved, in, and that has absolutely been confirmed to me. But in terms of specific investment groups, particularly in the three MLS cities, I've been yet to sort of get a concrete name to, yeah. to go off of. But what I will say um, that beyond is that uh, that the people that are sort of driving the philosophy behind this change are not huge fans of ML, the MLS structure. And what that could mean is that I believe that there's not going to be a hyper-controlled single entity uh, backing to the league in the same way that you see in MLS, that there will be a certain degree of cooperation between the clubs in order to share their revenues and to, to make sure that all are, are staying afloat, but that there will be a greater degree of flexibility in my, in my mind to individual clubs to make individual decisions um, and to do things to try and excel. So I can see a scenario after the league is stabilized where they will create rules that will allow a New York cosmos to evolve in this country. And so for one or two teams to try and rise up and spend more money than the rest, I believe very strongly that that is the situation that you'll see. Um, you know, it's it's a daring project. It is – forgive this. It's ballsy and it may fail, but if you never try it, it's always going to fail. And that's my final thought there, Kevin. No, absolutely. And you, you mentioned uh... – we're not hearing a lot of names in Montreal too. I've been asking the last couple of weeks, trying to get more information of who could be involved, who can be implicated in the potential Montreal team in that Canadian league. And so far, the, the small hints that I got were basically what we've been saying on this show for a year now. So uh, uh, it's, no names have been devolved. Some talk about the CFL, maybe even the Montreal Canadiens being involved, but it's only very... Small hints. So, uh, so far, I cannot even make an hypothesis of who the potential owner or Montreal owner could be. And maybe it's going to stay that way. Yeah, well, until we have the announcement. In terms of the timing of the announcement, um, I keep hearing the fall. Um, as I was told when I was speaking to someone around the Edmonton thing is that FC Edmonton is saying they're not holding up for us. They know our answer. So it really comes down to timing now. It's entirely possible that maybe they're waiting for the Belize game, uh, which is September 4th here in Toronto. So maybe on the 3rd or something, you make that announcement when they have a greater degree of attention around them. Um, or they could perhaps be waiting to the um, the first game of the, uh, of the, the semifinal round, assuming they don't do something astoundingly bad against Belize. Um, that's uh, that's that's move ahead down and Kevin and uh, let's talk a little Gretzky, eh? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, great. What's your favorite Gretzky moment? Oh, when he uh, when he missed that penalty, when he didn't do a penalty shot in '98. <laughs> I was never a big Gretzky fan. Oh, I thought for you're from Montreal. I thought maybe you might say when he eliminated the the leaves and the, the leaves, <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leaves, the Leafs in uh, 1993 or. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, this is not a Gretzky show, although it is the it Gretzky, is the Gretzky show. show, but it's not a Gretzky show. This is our 99th episode, which is blows my mind. Uh, it is also um, my 400. I did the math the other day. It is my 446th combined episode between It's Called Football and uh, Two Solitudes. So uh, Kevin's coming up to about one quarter of the of my co-host now, too. So that's a uh, that's getting interesting, too, that it's no longer, uh, you know, by the time I get to my 500th episode, which is, you know, maybe I might just drop the mic and leave it that day, Kevin. But <laughs> When I get to my 500th episode, we're getting close to a third of the time that you've been in my co-host sheet. Uh, we've well, been doing you, this. If you had five rings to it, we're, we're already up there. And if you had yeah. all the other shows, because it is number 99, but we already did more than 100 shows on Two Solitudes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to go back and count. But uh, I'm, I'm only counting regular regular stamped episodes. I'm well over 500, you're right, when it comes to that, which is astounding. I've been doing it since 2000 and uh God, I even mixed the date up. I think my first two, It's Called Football was in 2008, but I'm not 100% sure. I know that I started to uh, – I know I started the blog, 24th Minute, in October 2008. Um, I had been writing for a blog called uh, 
out of left field, which is by Nate Sager, which is a guy that we've had on um, Five Rings before for a year prior to that and uh, had been writing for uh, for Ives, Soccer by Ives as well for the entire 2007 season. So if you want to really go drag my old work out, I haven't seen my Soccer by Ives stuff in a long time. So if anyone wants to go search that out and send it to me, I'd love to read some of those articles from 2007. It's been a long time since I've seen them. But uh, yeah, this is um, – been a, been a journey and a half, Kevin. And we started together in the Sochi games. For those that don't know, the, the origin, our origin story really comes from Five Rings, which started uh, three weeks before we started this show. And I had been frustrated for about a year because I want, like, I love podcasting. It's, you know, you don't do 500 shows <laughs> unless you enjoy it, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for, for reasons that made a lot of sense, Ben Rycroft had to back off what he was doing day in, day out. So we do thank Ben. He is always the origin of this show, really, when you go way, way back when um, it all starts and what Kevin work, Kevin's work was doing on his own. So I'll let you talk about that in a minute. But uh, uh, yeah, it, 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 I'd been frustrated for a year and then it was just a happenstance tweet. I sent out a tweet, I think, on the during the opening ceremonies or it might have been in the day of – the day before the Olympics started in, in Sochi saying, does anyone know of a podcast? And Kevin threw just a straight at through his Off the Woodworks. And I, I knew the Off the Woodworks name, but I didn't actually, Kevin, necessarily know what your actual name was other than Off the Woodworks because you had talked to me on Twitter a few times prior to that. Mm-hmm. I just I, – I went, you know, kind of joked and then went, wait, I think he's being serious. <laughs> so then I told you to DM me and the rest is history. What the hell were you thinking? I know, right? Well, I was thinking of branching off because I was been I've been doing off the woodworks for a year and a half at that point. So I started March two years and a half ago. So I started off the woodworks, but I've always been more than soccer. Yes, I love the impact and that's the genesis of my beginning of passion because there was a void. I think there was no English Montreal Impact show out there and I wanted to listen to one and if it's not there you might as well do it for yourself and might as well put it out there. So I started early. A lot of people helped me uh, learn. Uh, Morgan Green, who was with the EPL Talk podcast back then, Rick Evangelista, Renational Online, now with Canadian Soccer News. Uh, I've learned a lot over the years. If I listened to one of our first, my first show that I did by myself uh, almost three years ago, wow, it was so bad. So you can go to Afterwoodworks, listen to the first couple of shows. <laughs> You'll see the quality and the, the, the quality of the show has uh, improved a lot since then but I wanted to talk more than just soccer I love the Olympics and there was a big not necessarily big gap in coverage but I don't think you have a, anything in, resembling the five rings somewhere out there where you get people talking about different sports with different point of views and not uh, and being objective and not have to be subjective to a uh, company line so that's what's important to the Olympics because when you're watching the Olympics as the broadcast feed, you never really get to 100% of everything that's going on. So we're trying to bring a different vibe to Five Rings. And while doing Five Rings, we both realized, like, we're both soccer guys. We actually need to do a soccer show. So the Two Solitudes came to be, and it probably surpassed the popularity that I ever imagined would have. Won the best podcast in 2014 for World Soccer Talk. Uh, Had millions of listens and downloads since last year. So I I think we've come a long way. Yeah, it, it, I look when you. It's called football. I, I hate to always bring it up because I'm not trying to, to dismiss this show to that. I just view it as a natural trend, natural evolution of it. When when it started, it was one of two, three that were doing what we were doing. But we always grabbed an audience above our, our punching weight because we didn't have backing, and that was part of the reason why we ultimately had to shut it down. But this show has. I think with by now has almost caught up to where that show was in terms of its total listens. And, and that's saying something because we had a great deal of influence back then. We did a lot of great interviews. When I had uh, Ben Knight on this show earlier this year, we, we talked a lot about that. So, But, but I think that, uh, that this show, which I've tried to from the beginning stamp its own identity on, you know, as well as much as it's related to it and sort of the philosophy is what that was in terms of, you know, this is a Canadian show first and foremost that happens to cover Major League Soccer. Um, I think that I've put my own spin on it from what Ben would do, not to say that his was better or worse or, or greater or not as good as, as mine, but I think I've added a little bit more of the of the USL stuff, and that's why we started USL Radio as a spinoff from that because I realized that not everyone's into that sort of stuff. So I'm kind of proud of where we are after after 100 sorry after 99 episodes, um, and you know we we get what amazes me, Kevin, about this show is that 
is that we get listens at least I forty percent to fifty percent of our listens are American, and not just and that, from the not just from Cascadia or the, or the boarding state. One of our most famous listener is uh, El Nino twenty two, if I'm not mistaken, on Twitter. Uh, he is from Houston. So, Cal, know what? Uh, listen from Houston. He's from Houston and he loves our show. So, it tells you to reach sometimes that just talking about Canadian soccer, you, it relates to the United States because you just change the name here and there. And it's always the same problems almost. So, Yeah. And we were talking earlier on this year and it, it's amazing. And I, I read something on the big soccer message boards and I don't go there very often anymore, but that I really took to heart and really was quite proud of. It was a spontaneous comment about the show on a on a podcasting thread and what they called us was the podcast of record, the Canadian podcast of record and said, and they went on to say that there was nothing similar in the United States that sort of endeavored to be a collective look at the whole of, of a nation's soccer weekly, which is what we are. We're a weekly show that attempts to be the podcast of record. And that stuck in my head. And that's the vision that I try to, to approach each and every two solitudes with now you know not every episode is going to be you know award-winning right like but i think that we always do the best to be as informative as we can and to be as original as we can and to get as different voices as we as we can in there and to try and i think that we've done a great job this year and i'm really proud of the way that we've expanded our talk about the nasl this year from last year i think that that was maybe an area we needed to improve on after last year Mm -hmm. and that's something that i've endeavored to do and we will have the ottawa fury interview is coming up at the end of the month by the way i had a personal issue that i had to deal with so we had to postpone it but at any rate, um, I, I think that that's that's something we've done, and, and I think that you know, as we did today, and as we always try and do, we always try and remember that we have American guests that are listening to us, and we speak a little bit to those those issues, but always through the the prism of of our own view, which is not American. And I think that that's maybe, if I could theorize for a minute, why a lot of Americans like us is because we know their issues, but we're not tied into their issues in the same way maybe other shows are. So we're able to, I think, look at them and look at the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. Well, maybe not so much with the women. <laughs> the, the men's national team in a way that's that's a little bit more informed but objective. And I, I think that that's something we'll continue to do. But, you know, we're always going to be, first and foremost, a Canadian show. No, absolutely. And we mentioned by text message earlier today, like trying to think of our highlights of the year and I'm thinking, of course, my Mexico City trip to for the Gap Champions League this year. But but this year has been special to me because we've seen a, an openness from every team that we've covered has embraced us this year. Uh, they return our calls. Uh, we've worked in relationship with every professional club in the country right now. And I really like where it's going because uh, we're trying to get not necessarily behind the scene look, but we have a different view, a different type of attitude towards what the, the soccer team are doing, not necessarily critiquing the day in, day out, who's winning, who's losing, but looking objectively as the whole of Canadian soccer, where it's going, where it's branching off, where it needs some tweak here and there. And I think it it really gives a, an overview to every Canadian soccer fan to better understand the, the national team concept, the national team programs, the woes, the, the highlights, the good stuff they're doing. Because when you understand what's going on to the sport in the whole country, even from the inside of the pro soccer clubs, it helps understand as a whole where the sport is. And you, you not get as surprised when you fill up a 60,000 stadium with people to support the Montreal Impact in the final of the CONCACAF Champions League when you realize that at the grassroots level, the sport is growing massively. Yeah, absolutely. My, you know, my highlights, uh, I, I, I really liked having Ben on, Ben Knight on, to, to uh, provide a little bit of closure for a show that meant a lot to a lot of people, including myself. Um, I know that we would all love to have Rycroft on one day, but I understand his job sort of, right now prevents him from doing that easily so we understand that um but i think we've moved on at this point and uh, you know i'm i'm love our branding uh, i i can tell you that the origin of the name which which does confuse people on first first here but if you understand your canadian history it makes a lot of sense and and the tie-in with the the u.s versus canadian and the two solitudes with an mls it just spoke to me i was out for a walk I uh, had my headphones on. I was just walking. I was right by Whistler's Grill, actually. I was literally at the corner of Whistler's Grill. So you now know where the origin of the name is, Kevin, the exact uh, geographical location. It just popped in my head. Two solitudes. That's perfect. 
because it speaks to the French and the English and the Canadian and the American. And, and I always I just like that name. And it was different too from from what we were branded in the past. So uh, uh, hopefully now when people hear Two Solitudes, they they you know just un- all the, just understand. Well, what it is, and it's this podcast too. So you know, when you do it, I tell you this: when you Google it, it's now. I think the uh, it it now goes above the book when you Google two solitudes. Nice. Uh, it, it it we have ex- have more Google searches than the book does. So that's that's a good thing. Um, you know, what would you moving forward? Like, what changes do you, do you want to look at? I mean, I always sort of tweak in my head what people want to hear. Try and get some different guests in. By and large, I, I struggle with stuff. I mean, we talked about bringing a little bit of Premier League coverage in, but Kevin pointed out, and Kevin runs all the production and the technical side of things, so he's the guy to ask on this, that pointed out that our lowest-rated shows are the ones where we talk about England. So why bother? And I think you've spoken by your listens that, that we should maintain our focus. Um, I don't know, and we'll have to look at the numbers a little bit, whether maybe a little bit more American MLS coverage is warranted, especially when we get into the playoffs. I don't think that that necessarily is something that offends our Canadian listeners if we add a little bit more insight to the league. I, I think that the one area that I would really like to continue to develop on is that NESL side and that that secondary club side. Um, you know, Maybe I should be doing more on the PDL when I get, there's a good PDL story. Maybe we should have been covering the KW United's run a little bit closer. I think that's the area that we can improve and, and we're always open to, um, to suggestions that way on our various social media platforms. All right, Kevin, any final thoughts? No, it just... It always boggles my mind by the amount of people we've interviewed, the amount of subject we covered, uh, stories that we broke. If you're looking at the Canadian League, Yuan Venegas, and many other different stories that we broke here on Canadian Soccer News and on Two Solitude Soccer Podcast. So, uh, really, uh, we've evolved in the year, too. If you look at the first couple of shows, the format, the identity is a lot different from where we are today. And I think it evolved organically by itself. And we've maybe created a monster and it continues to evolve. And I just can't wait to see where this and all the shows from After Woodwork Studios will keep bringing me and you and everywhere. And the fact that we're allowed to, to travel to cover this beautiful sport is one of the perks. Yeah, we still have to pay for it. But it's one of the perks of uh, this show. And I have to say, uh, it really is positive for me when I look into the next year coming from from until show 200 there's a lot of beautiful things next to cover and I just can't wait to do it all right fair enough all right now Kevin talks cycling after the no wait no uh Canadian review after the break this is my good pal Joey Moss every day Joey works hard in the oiler dressing room preparing things for our team Joey's not like other guys his age. And you know, with a little understanding and guidance, I've found that people who are mentally handicapped, like Joey, can really surprise you with all the things they can do by simply being part of our lives. Thanks, Joey. Open up your life. Let people who are mentally handicapped be part of your community. Katie! The Canadian Review on the Two Solitudes Soccer Podcast. Gretzky, eh? It's a beauty, eh? Uh, my favorite... Oh, never mind. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, this Canadian Review. We're going to talk about the Voyager's Cup. Um, what the hell happened after Vancouver got the 2-0 lead? A uh, minute and a half of craziness that was followed by Montreal Impact trying to get that uh, winner, but that never came. Uh, it started with, I'm not going to lie, uh, it was a very 
defensive first half. It wasn't that entertaining, but it's not about to be entertaining. It was closely fought. It was a defensive... They were not going blow for blow. They were just trying to let the other team... Trying to see what they can do. And then when they had their shot, they were trying to do... But the the middle of the defense on both teams held for the first 64 minutes. Then Vancouver got that first goal. And eventually, that free kick was awesome. Nothing nobody could have done to stop that Morales free kick, to be honest. One of the nicest I've seen live, but one of the nicest I've seen ever in a Voyager's Cup, for sure, but in the Major League Soccer as well. So it was just a great freaking goal. Kronberg felt bad, but he couldn't really done anything else to stop it. Maybe place the wall differently, but uh, nothing really can do. And you can always think until uh, forever, what can I done differently? It won't change anything. But then... Montreal came back. Then Montreal had a couple of chances. And that one goal, the first opening goal for Montreal, really changed everything else. And when Jackson and Mel came into the, the pitch, wow. A Canadian to score his first goal for his first team in the Canadian Championship match. This was just too sweet. Yeah, well, absolutely. And uh, I was cheering for that for sure. I, it should be noted that the assist on the first goal for Vancouver came from, uh, and the name's escaping me right now. I feel Fraze, horrible. Fraser yeah. Maddox, yeah. Yeah, he, he's from Winnipeg product, so uh, part of um, the, the Whitecaps' huge reach in Western Canada there. So so good there. And a um, per- perfect place, low cross as well. Maddox just opened his foot up and just redirected the ball to the far post. Didn't have to shoot the ball uh, in any way. And it was just a tapping for him that he was saying after the game how it was just a perfect placing. He was just, no, anybody would have scored that goal. He was just at the right place at the right time. Yeah, it, no, and look, we all like to see the Canadian kids perform in this. I, during the game, the first half was really bad, <laughs> in yeah. my opinion. It was it was terrible, and I thought that the players were kind of half-assing it around. And certainly, once I, once Vancouver got that second goal, which was, um, you know, that's you know, that's assume it was on purpose. If it was on purpose, it was an amazing piece of skill. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in the way that they caught the keeper leaning the wrong way and just hit that top corner from from a crazy angle. Look it up if you haven't seen it yet. It's it's a great goal. The the free kick goal, the second goal. Um, once that went in and Montreal got their their couple goals, it was 15 minutes of frantic football. Uh, I know that a lot of people were talking about like, well, here we are, the Montreal Impact, uh, you know, cup tie team, right? That they have yeah. this ability Caught to the gaff mode. Yeah, they they pulled it out. Now, you know, that said, they allowed two goals on the road, but uh, certainly I would say that they're not out of this by any means. It just gives Vancouver the uh, – they just have to win in Vancouver is what it comes down to. I, I suppose a 3-3 draw would do it too. But, um, you know, they, what, are, what are you feeling as, as an impact person? What, what are you feeling heading into that second leg in, in a week and a half time? At least they're still in it. If it had been 2 nothing. For a Vancouver, it would have been a very difficult task for Montreal to go score three goals without conceding at BC Place at the least. So now they have a shot to win that tournament and have a shot to go back to the CCL. And I think there was a realization in that game when it was 2 nothing down. I think one nothing, ah, it would have been all right. We, we lost one nothing. But when that second goal came in, the urgency really came out of the players. They were like, no, we, we have to battle with CONCACAF. We forever want to go back to that tournament before 2017, 2018, which is look really far away in people's mind. A lot of players will, will be retired by then, but uh, they have to win the tournament now. So they dig deep and uh, Laurent Simon, who was wearing the captain armband for uh, that game, scored that goal on a header. Donadel to Simon, we've seen it Many times this year already on corners, Donadel has a way to finding where Sima is, and Sima has a way to finding the ball from Donadel to a, just a great tandem of set pieces, especially corners. And Sima for a defender, I was going to say arguably the best in the league. Let's just say it. He's the best in the league. So with him uh, trying to do good offensively and just spark the emotion of Montreal, and Justin Mapp came in. Nice little Passed by Romero to Justin Mapp. Justin Mapp saw ML. ML just finished it. And Jackson ML, not a legend, but he creates a moment for him. Remember, forever. But for the supporters as well, a Canadian scoring his first goal in the Canadian Championship. And uh, cementing his place in the the 18. Maybe not the 11, but uh, trying to get a more playing time with that performance. So it's going to be very positive for the impact but they still have a lot of work to do in Vancouver uh, August 26th 
Yeah, absolutely. I, you, you, put, you spoke to it a little bit, this, the, that time situation. And here in Toronto, certainly those that loved the tournament felt that a great deal after they were eliminated by the impact. Is you start to come to the realization to do the math, like the the idea of of you know what we saw in Toronto with the semifinal when when Beckham was or the quarterfinal when Beckham was here and filled the dome up, and then the the game a few weeks later with Santa Laguna. That can't happen in Toronto until 2018 at this point because of the way that the tournament rotation is in the in the Voyagers Cup now. So that's that's what you're playing for. You're playing for the opportunity to or for the lack to, to prevent the situation of happening where you're looking at 2017-18 before you can get back into a CCL play and as you said you know for a lot of players you look at your career you look at just the amount of turnover there is at a club you could go well you know I might not even be there by the time we get a chance to go back again that next year's winner we'll get 2017-18 and this year's winner gets next year so that's where we're at um let's talk a bit about the form mad a little bit and I think that it has suffered this year from that long leg between the semifinal stage and the and the final stage and and in the past years the Voyagers Cup had a lot of momentum by the time it hit the final and and I've really noticed it this year is is it's not obviously maybe it took those that two goal deficit to wake people up into that this was the Voyagers Cup final again because going into that game there was just a lot a lack of sort of energy around it and, and I think that that's a real shame that uh, that happened this year by necessity because of the Women's World Cup but especially for Montreal because if you're looking at the last cup game they had uh, you had the CCL run and you had the first leg of the Voyagers Cup that was a month and a half if not two months ago so so that feeling of cup game and the urgency that it needs in those games was not there until the second goal like you said because they were used to just playing on the league especially for Montreal Vancouver was different because they were playing in the CCL and in other a competition at the same time but in Montreal it's now they were focused on the league and they just had that two games in the Canadian Championship far in their mind and it crept up on them and yes they adjusted accordingly and they got that tie and goal that still leaves that second game important but we'll see but now it means that Montreal needs to uh, put good players to travel to Vancouver Drog was probably going to be on his way to Vancouver a couple of weeks from now which would not have been the case if Montreal would have been 3-4-0 winning in Montreal so Vancouver did put a strong lineup out even though Robinson make eight changes on the starting 11 Klopas did put a strong lineup out so both teams do believe in that tournament but I think it's more of a uh, we'll not necessarily uh, save face but we'll use that tournament Halfway, we'll put some strong players that we feel have a shot of not getting injured and not risking anything. But look at Montreal, Piatti was not playing. Look at Vancouver, Rivera was not playing. So you can't say that it's not important, but you can't say either that it's a priority. Yeah, for those who don't know, they changed the rules a little bit. The CSA to to make the it used to be that you could draw from your entire system to into the Voyagers Cup. You could register players above and beyond your MLS roster into that tournament. They took that. Well, I don't know. I was going to call it a loophole. It's not really a loophole. They took that rule out, so they the roster has to be from the MLS level. So by necessity, they have to play some starters now because MLS rosters just aren't big enough to go completely reserve, right? Yeah. Um, whereas whereas what Vancouver did uh, against TFC uh, last year when they played pretty much a academy team, not like a senior academy with a couple players mixed in situation against TFC, and played so well uh, in that tournament that a lot of people. I was talking to some Vancouver fans during the game, and you know. People know that I favor a Canadian quota in this tournament. Um, I believe that if you're going to have one area where it's hard to argue against the idea of a Canadian quota, it might be the Canadian championship, right? Um, Some were saying a lot of Vancouver fans who normally fight me tooth and nail whenever I bring any idea of of quota restrictions up uh, were like somewhat open-minded to the idea. And they were pointing to that game against TFC where they said they had a lot of fun watching their young Canadian kids get out and compete for pride. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't something great about the way that that game ended. There's not something great about or delicious about the idea that Drogba might win the Voyager's Cup in his first game in North America. Like that, this little trophy that the supporters like bought with like $5 bill donations uh, 15 years ago might be won by Drogba in his first game in Canada. Like that's kind of delicious, right? But uh, I'm not saying there's nothing valuable about that, but I would like to see something put in place that uh, that sort of encourages a greater Canadian production because I think the Canadian kids are going to get up for it more because it has those natural rivalries that they have through their national youth programs with their playing the kids that they know from the other parts of the country. There is a, a really organic natural rivalry there that they want to, that they have a pride for. And I think that it would really add value to the tournament if you were to do that. And I think it would also 
you know, if you required the teams to have like say five Canadians play or something like that, it would be an incentive for them. If they want to play in the CCL, it would then say, well, you know, we're not going to force you in in MLS to use those players, but if you want to play in CCL, you're going to need to have Canadians that can compete and win this championship against the other Canadian teams. I think there's a lot of value in that, but that's uh, maybe a topic for, for the off season rather than now Uh, predictions, Kevin, sorry, let you finish that thought and then we'll get your predictions. You know what it would look like? It would look like the, the, TFC 2 Montreal game this Wednesday. That's exactly what it was. You had Jordan Hamilton on one side and Alessandro Rigi on the other. Two players that have been playing against since they're eight years old in those interprovincial tournaments that have been stars of those teams forever. Those two players known each other forever. And you should have seen the competitiveness on the field between those two players. Whenever they were fighting for the ball against each other, they were looking at each other, chirping, having fun. And that's what it's all about. And that's what it would look like. Uh, it would look like that derby that was this Wednesday with players on both sides that know each other for years and just can't wait to put it to the other team. So that's exactly what it looked like. So if you want to have a, a, a taste or a preview of what a... Uh, Canadian championship with the Canadian quota would look like go to to uh, YouTube and see um, FC Montreal versus TFC 2 from last Wednesday yeah, two two one victory for FC Montreal. Uh, really, really going hard. The FC Montreal is, and they're six one and one in their last eight games. Uh, uh, hottest team in USL. Kevin and I had a very long conversation about the very the the points of TFC two and and FC Montreal right now. Two thirds of the way through their first season in USL, had some candid conversations about uh, but where we think things are, maybe areas that are kind of concerning to us, especially on the TFC two front. Um, if you want to listen to that conversation, you could download USL Radio uh, on uh, or on the Off the World Works overall feed. You can get it there as well. But uh, certainly, we encourage you to do that. Kevin, let's get your prediction for the second leg of the Voyagers Cup before we wrap up this Gretzky show. Unfortunately, I think the three beat won't happen. I think Vancouver is going to find a way with that goal on the road advantage to uh, win that Voyager's Cup at home. But you never know. Uh, Montreal in a cup situation has done pretty well in the last three years. So who knows? Maybe they do have a three beat in them, especially if a Drogba is making, even if it's five minutes, even if it's making his presence felt. I don't think so because it's turf and all those reasons, but who knows? So, no, I do predict a like a 2-1 victory for Vancouver in the second match, which would give Vancouver his first ever Voyager's Cup. Uh, impact 2, Whitecaps 1, Drogba scores the winner in the 89th minute. Oh, wow. All right, Kevin, say goodbye. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening to our 99th show. You can uh, come to Whistler's next week around uh, probably noon for uh, the... 100th show extravaganza we're trying to get guests live and trying to get people involved and talk about uh, Canadian soccer like we always do so until next time have a great soccer Gretzky <laughs> you were just